All right. We have a lot to do tonight. I don't remember, let's see, today's Wednesday. I don't remember if it was Monday. may have been Saturday. I don't remember when it was. I did a, um, a live broadcast on the app, which basically was a lot of times the live broadcast are pretty much, the only way to describe them is it's my, it's either my morning devotional time, afternoon devotional time, evening devotional time, or late night devotional time. Because I tried to do it four times. Uh, I've, I've always tried to have a four different times of devotional time in my Christian life. So what I'll do is a lot of times if I come across something like, oh, that'll be good for my devotional time, um, I'll just grab the iPad and hit record and go live. Now, the good thing about doing that is um, it get, allows me to share whatever I'm looking at with everyone else, which a lot of times that will ultimately turn into a sermon or a message. So it kind of lets everyone see the building blocks of it. The, the bad side of it is because, well, nothing is prepared beforehand. So sometimes I'll stumble into something without even realizing what I'm stumbling into because, I mean, it's, the study is happening right there live and, and, and being recorded. So the other night, I came up with this great idea. Oh, this is a, this is a very famous verse. You know what I'll do? I'll, I'll go, I'll hit record. Talk about this verse. I could break this verse probably down into two parts, just looking at it. This, this should work great. And I started the recording. Um, I talked about something at the beginning, kind of you know, did a, a separate introduction. And then right when I got ready to start my look at the verse, I thought, you know what? That's verse 5. I'll just go back to verse 1. Read verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. And then that will give me a more complete devotional thought and then go into five. This will be great. And as soon as I started reading verse one, the train went off the track. The truck jackknifed. The car flipped three times. The barn burnt down and everything went into flames live on the air. Okay. Because immediately I was like, wait a minute. We have problems. The first problem is I had... I was reading where I had multiple translations open and I began to realize as soon as I started reading, wait a minute, this is not just a difference in translation, literally one translation and the other translation, it's not even the same verse. We're not talking a little disagreement, we're talking an entire phrase is in one translation and it's completely missing from the others, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, this is different. Then it gets into this whole whole struggle. Wait a minute, who's talking? Who's, what is this? How do we understand this question? And how does the verse that I was going to look at play into all of this? Now I know what you're thinking. Well, what's the passage? I'm not giving you the passage. I'm not giving you the verse because this is what will happen. If I just grab, if I just told everyone to open their Bibles right now and start reading. We, would, we wouldn't get past verse 1 when Stephen would raise his hand and go, what verse are you reading? And everybody would be like, uh, we're reading from a Bible and you're not. Okay, no, but we would immediately have a problem, right? Okay, and then, and then once I begin to identify that problem, everybody would be like, well, what's going on? And then when I just start asking some basic interpretive hermeneutical questions of verse 2, 3, and 4, well, at that point, you would just sit there and look at that and not listen to anything I have to say. So I'm not going to tell you the passage. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a step back. We're going to try to build to 
looking at the passage. But the way we're going to do this is we're going to go back to, we'll say, 12th century maybe, 11th century, between 11th and 13th century. And we're going to look at how the Hebrews, or the Jews at the time, especially the rabbis, what hermeneutical method did they utilize in the 11th, 12th, 13th century? All right? Now, we're going to go back to this period of time, but I want to, before we even advance this at all, and I don't know how far we're going to get tonight, and, and this may turn into who knows what, but that's, that's what happened. When, when I do a devotional study, devotional study always turns into an eight-year study, okay? So, because that's, that's what happens. But, so let me try to explain here. Immediately when I say we're going to go back to the 12th, 13th century and look at how the Hebrews approach the scriptures and their hermeneutical method they, they use, for every average Christian who hears that, whether on the recording or in this room right now, that immediately should raise a red flag to you as an individual. Because most Christians just believe that they've never studied hermeneutics, never read a hermeneutical textbook, don't even know the history of hermeneutics. They just somehow believe magically, again, thanks to the Protestant Reformation, that they can just open their Bible and figure it out. All right, here's what we know just from a basic study of history. The Christian hermeneutic was greatly influenced by the Jewish hermeneutic, which was greatly influenced by other systems of hermeneutics, okay? And the Christian hermeneutic was also greatly influenced by many philosophical systems of the time. So that's why, A, there's so much variety in hermeneutical approaches to the scripture, and B, it's why from someone who has studied history and hermeneutics, it can sometimes be so frustrating dealing with Christians who just everyone believes that they possess the same ability to interpret scripture without possessing any knowledge of even the systems of hermeneutics, the history of it, much less an understanding of how to do it. Now, I know that sounds like a Catholic, but there's got to be a level of truth to, the, truth to that argument. Is that you, not everyone has the same level of ability to interpret it. So, and, and, and it starts with just understanding that not everyone's approached it the same way. So, the reason we're going to go back to the 12th, 13th century... And well, the reason we're going to look at the, how the Hebrews approach this is because the passage in question is found in the Old Testament. So obviously, how the Jews handled the scriptures may come into play here. May. And another reason I'm doing this is once I, I basically in the live broadcast, I basically uncovered all the problems here and I didn't have any answers. When I started trying to investigate the answers, the commentaries were pretty much silent. I went to one sermon site that has, you know, thousands and thousands of sermons, looked for sermons based on this section. Most of them skip the section and start in the next section. But I did find an article that took a weird radical right turn, and I was like, what? And so that led me to this entire discussion, all right? So that kind of tells you how we got here. So let's, let's do this. You ready? All right. The Hebrew approach to hermeneutics, okay, and when we talk uh, hermeneutics, we talk about the theories of interpretation, right? That's, uh, and make sure we understand theories of interpretation because not everyone is even in agreement 
and how to interpret it. And, and, and I, again, I want to stress this so much. Typically, when there's doctrinal dispute, theological dispute, it's not a doctrinal or theological dispute. It's a what? It's a hermeneutical dispute. I, 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 if y'all have learned anything in this church, hopefully you've learned that when we studied eschatology. That was the big lesson we took from that. Eschatology is not a debate about the end times. Eschatology is a debate about hermeneutics, about hermeneutics, okay? So, the Hebrew approach to hermeneutics, or, or their theories of interpretation, views four levels of interpretation. So when the Hebrews, or the Jews, when they would look at the, the Old Testament, they would see a verse and say that there are four levels of interpretation. Four levels of interpretation. You definitely want to know these four levels of interpretation, all right? Now, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you, basically, they broke these four views, or these four levels of interpretation, and they use four words for each level, okay? And they used, and these four words, basically, they create kind of an acronym, um, to, 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 to remind themselves of them. But we're just going to look at the four words, all right? Everybody ready? All right, I'll give you the words and then we'll come back and then we'll build into the meaning and then we'll build all of this up and you'll be an expert on 12th and 13th century hermeneutical ideas of the ancient Jews. Okay, all right. Ooh, aren't you glad you come to Victory Baptist Church? Okay, because you know all the churches are studying this same thing tonight, right? Okay, yeah. No, all right. Probably not. Here we go. Here's level number one. I'll spell it for you. P.S. S-H-A-T, Peshat. P-E-S-H-A-T. Okay, P-E-S-H-A-T. P-E, yeah, I'm sorry if I said P-S-S-H-A-T. No, it's P-E-S-H-A-T. Peshat. Peshat. Everybody got that one? All right. Second word. R-E-M-E-Z. R-E-M-E-Z. Remez. Peshat. Remez. R-E-M-E-Z. Shot, remez, or remez, however you want to say it, all right. Three, darash, D-E-R-A-S-H, darash. D-E-R-A-S-H, darash. Peshat, remez. Darash. All right, you ready for the next one? All right, everybody got these so far? All right, the next one, S-O-D. S-O-D. It's not pronounced sod. It's pronounced sowed. Yep. It's not pronounced. S-O-D, just S-O-D. Just S-O-D. Yeah, I spelled it. Yeah, I was just saying it twice, yeah. S-O-D. 
So the first word is Peshat, the second one is Remez, next one's Darash, and then Sod, even though it's spelled S-O-D. Those are the four words. Everybody got them? All right. Now let's go through what each word kind of represents or what level it represents so that we understand. Okay, the first word, Peshat, it can mean surface, straight, or the literal direct meaning. Surface, straight, or the literal direct meaning. Peshat. Surf, the surface straight or the literal direct meaning. Now please note, literal direct. I, again, we're not, I don't want to go in through all of this about, you know, how, we're not going to go through and try to completely unwind these ideas, but you get the idea, uh, literal, um, the literal means kind of the direct meaning of the text. Doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, kind of what it says. It doesn't mean that it doesn't give ground for, say, when Jesus, or well, I know we're, well, that's New Testament, but in the Old Testament when it uh, speaks of God basically as a bird bringing us under his wings, doesn't mean that God literally has wings, but it can still be a literal or direct message speaking of God's care, understanding that there can be a, a illustrative language used. Does that make sense? Okay, so... Just understand, so level one is the surface, the straight, the literal, direct meaning. All right, that's Peshat. Number two, Remez. This means hence or the deep, the allegorical, hidden, or symbolic meaning beyond just the literal sense. Remez means hence or the deep, allegorical, hidden, or symbolic meaning beyond just the literal sense. All right, got that? Hence or the deep, allegorical, hidden, symbolic meaning beyond just the literal sense. Some will say this, it, uh, the uh, remez is kind of the idea of a hint of something deeper. A hint of something deeper. That they would look at the text and go, okay, can I, there's the surface level, Peshat, literal, direct, and, but there's something else there, something deeper, something maybe symbolic, something maybe allegorical. All right. So far, so good. All right, now the third one's a little deeper to understand, okay? And there's different ways of describing the third one, and so this is going to lead to a little bit of confusion here. So I'm just going to try to, we're going to try to figure it out the best we can, all right? I got two sources here, and the two sources describe them differently, okay? So I don't even know if there's complete agreement on how to understand this third, third one, okay? Third one is Darash, all right? Inquire, seek. Um... Some call it the comparative meaning. All right, that's, that's not a big help, is it, right? But all right, so to inquire, to seek, the comparative meaning. Let me go to a different source. 
Darash, the homiletical or practical application. The homiletical or practical application. Now that that to my ear, does, does anybody get what that word? What does that sound like to you? What does this level sound like to you? Let me read it again. Um, inquire, comparative meaning, as given through similar occurrences. That doesn't really help. Okay, Darash, the homiletical or practical application. That, that's the one that kind of gives it away to, to me. Homiletical, what does that mean? No, hermeneutics and... Homily, okay, okay, we get the word homily. What's a homily? No. Sermon. Okay, all right, well, way before Catholics. Okay, but yeah, okay, yes, homily. A lot of people refer to the preaching of God's word as a homily, right? It's the speaking. Now, if you go to, say, the Catholic tradition, especially more modern Catholic tradition, the homily is typically very short, not very long at all, right? And it's very, it's just kind of giving you a practical meaning of the text. It's not going to dig into the hermeneutical aspects like we kind of go more hermeneutical here. The homily would kind of go, here's kind of a practical thing to take away from it, right? So this would be, the third level would be kind of the practical, the practical application of it. The, well, the Peshat is just going, this, this is... Uh, the, okay, comparative meaning, I think what they mean by that is comparative in the sense is, okay, here's the text. Now, I, I'm, going, I'm going to get a comparative meaning by applying it to a, an everyday kind of situation to make it applicable, to make it applicable. Does that make sense? It's just trying to figure out what's the practical to it. What's practical about it? So, uh, Peshat is, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's the literal, direct, surface level, right? Uh, Remez is, is trying to go, there's something deeper here. There's something maybe symbolic. There's something allegorical here, right? right? It could, this, this could be representing this, right? And then the next level is, okay, what's, what's something practical that I can get from this? What, what's something I can take away? If I was to give you a little fit, like if I was to give, well, sometimes we'll call them a devotional talk, right? Instead of calling it a homily, we may refer to it as a devotional message. And that's where if you get a devotional, it's not going to get into all the textual issues, is it? It's just going to say, hey, um, Zacchaeus climbed, uh, climbed up a tree. What can I learn from that? Well, you should desire to see Jesus. Right? Just making something practical from it. It's not even really focused on the literal there, that point, or the symbolic. It's just trying to give you something practical. Does that make sense? Now, if you put all three of those together, you're going somewhere. But what typically Christians do is they don't put all of these together and they just grab kind of one of these ideas. Does that make sense? All right. That leads us to the fourth one, which is really, 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 really difficult to understand. Okay? Sowed. All right, are you ready for this one? This is the mystical or hidden meaning. 
The mystical or hidden meaning. This, I, this word I, brings the idea of secret or mystery. Esoteric, the idea of an esoteric meaning, as uh, given through inspiration or revelation. All right, now this gets really, this gets really, now this one has influenced a lot of modern day evangelicals. It goes something like this. Okay, are you ready? Okay. I was reading the scriptures and I just kept pondering the scriptures and I kept praying because I didn't know what they meant and all of a sudden, God told me. God told me. Because how many, how many times, I'm telling you, it's just interesting to go back to the 12th, 13th century and see how these ideas evolve and show up in modern day Christianity. It's just, it's staggering how these things show up. But this one is, is so, this, like, all of those others have almost been abandoned by a large portion of evangelicalism. And if you don't believe me, call a Christian friend and go, I've been struggling with a passage of scripture and I don't understand it. How many of them will say, well, did you pray about it? And I'm like, exactly what was I supposed to do? Well, you should just pray about it. And then God, God's not going to give me the answer, people, okay? It doesn't work that way, right? Okay, I was, and, but that's how some Christians, I, I, I was just having my morning quiet time, and I was just reading this verse and reading this verse, and all of a sudden I felt like God told me what it meant. Well, that's, that's please note, that's the, that's a, that's a mystical or mystery or secret meaning that comes through inspiration or revelation. They didn't get that by doing hermeneutics. They didn't get it through observation and, and doing a Bible study. They got it by reading and thinking God told them what it meant. So therefore, if God told you, if Stephen came today and said, today I was just reading and man, whew, you know, God, God told me, this about this verse, I'm going to be like, well, congratulations. I've never seen that in that verse. So guess what he just got? A secret meaning that came to him through what? Inspiration or revelation, right? And, 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 and charismatics will sometimes say, this is the word God gave me. No, God didn't give you any word, okay? He gave us a word in written form, okay? But that, that, these are the crazy ideas that show up. All right, so you got you got a, you got four things going on there, right? Uh, Peshat, surface, straight, literal, direct, right? Remez, allegorical, symbolic, beyond the literal sense. But that's still dealing with the text. They're still trying to figure out. Well, wait, could that represent this? They're still trying to deal with the text. Darash, they're looking at the text and they're like, what's what's something practical we could get from this? All right, and then Sod is all about some mystery, esoteric, secret meaning that comes through who knows how you get the understanding, all right? Now, I won't go through the acronym they use. I won't go through all of that because then it'll just, you know, we'll turn into a, a, a study of this forever. Um, I can tell you this. Um, it seems like, and I've got two sources here that gives me different uh, timing of this. I've got uh, one saying uh, the, par the paradigm emerged before the 12th century, all right? I've got another source here that says uh, the use of this acronym to, to describe these four methods. Now, this may be where the difference is. The four ideas may have existed before the acronym existed, 
we know that the acronym they came up with seems to appear in the late 13th century. Okay, uh, by an author, I think his name is Moses DeLeon, uh, I think is how you say his last name. Um, so somewhere in the 13th century. I don't know. So this could be an idea that they came up with an acronym after they came up with the four. So we, that's why I'm trying to say between 11th and 13th century. Maybe it's a little more. But somewhere in that time, these four ideas show up. And you can see these four ideas showing up in Christian hermeneutics, can you not? Literal and direct meaning. Everybody gets that, right? What was the second one? Allegorical kind of meaning, right? Okay. The third one, practical. We definitely see that. And in this mystical idea, we definitely see that. Now, here's the thing. Make sure we understand this. Here's the danger. If you come up with these four kind of levels of interpretation, the, way it would, the only way it would have worked in their hermeneutical system is you had to look for all four. They were not designed for you to just take one or just take two. The modern Christian, who usually lacks any hermeneutical knowledge, they just take, and they don't even know that they're taking one of those. Right? Does that make sense? So, so you just got to be aware of that. The, for this to work as a system, you needed all four. And guess, guess whose system of hermeneutics is very similar to this? The Roman Catholic Church. They believe in four levels. Trust me, I had to write papers on it. Okay. And I had to try to exegete a passage and then apply all four levels uh, to it. You talk about difficult. Okay, all right. Yes, I had, I had to do this, but yes. Now, they may, they may not give them the same four names. I'd have to go back and look at some of the... Uh, well, I think it's a verb, verbatim is the name of the uh, encyclical by... I uh, can't remember which pope wrote it. Um, that uh, outlined their, their hermeneutical system. But um, it's very similar to this idea. Very similar to this idea. Um, so in the, in, the more in the evangelical world, we, we don't necessarily say there's four levels of meaning. Uh, I think in many, however, even though we may not say there's four levels of meaning, these ideas definitely infiltrate and influence the way many Christians perceive Scripture. All right, does that make sense? Okay, so here's the key though. The, the, why do I go, why am I, why am I going back to this 11th, 12th century idea. Why am I doing that? Here's the reason why. The passage of scripture that I have in front of me that we're getting ready to start working on, when I was looking up help, trying to find anyone who had dealt with this, I came across a crazy article that mentions these four things and what they, and what they argued. Do I have, um, here is the title of the article. What's in a name? A hint of something deeper. All right, so what they argue is that this confusing passage has to be looked at more, to, has to be looked at more than just at one level. That there may be a surface level, but there may be something deeper. And then they say it may even go to almost something mystical happening here. Now, that's where we may disagree, but they're the only ones trying to even address the passage. So they, I looked and looked and looked. Nobody else was addressing the passage. So they, ding, 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 they win, okay, by getting our attention. Now, we may, we may throw out everything they have to say, but we're going to have to do a lot of work. So 
Everyone grab a Bible dictionary because you're going to need one tonight. Make sure everybody's got a Bible dictionary. I don't know if we're going to actually get to it, but just have it ready to go. All right. Now, this is what we're going to have to do. we got about 30 minutes, all right? So this is what I need everyone's uh, attention here. This is what we're going to need to do. As we move forward, we're going to probably get confused. I'm probably going to get confused. You're probably going to get confused. If you're confused, do this. Raise your hand and ask a question, right? And then I will try to step back and go wait and try to understand what you're asking. And then now if, it, if it's going to take us to a, a, off the path that I'm trying to get to, I may set aside your question for a minute. Just remember your question and I'll get back to it. But don't start, um, wait, 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 no, that's not. Don't start making a, a dogmatic argument because I don't know if we can be dogmatic even when we're done. So if you start making a dogmatic argument, then i got to stop and try to destroy you why you're being dogmatic. And I've already spent enough time on this realizing you probably don't want to even make an argument for being dogmatic. Does that make sense? So just, just stay with Now when we're done, when we're done, now if you want to be dogmatic, then, then you can bring me your dogma. And then we'll, 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 I got no problem dedicating an entire service to destroy your dogma. I got no problem doing that. Okay, but, but let's not do it now. We got we to gotta, we gotta work through the confusion before we can hint at a dogma. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 30 is the passage at hand. Proverbs chapter 30. Oh boy. Who knew that this was going to be so complicated? Proverbs chapter 30. I'm going to open up the NIV here. All right. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1. Now, just so that you know, Verse 5 was the verse that I was going to turn on, uh, hit, uh, go live on the app and do a live broadcast that simply says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. That's, that's an easy devotional, right? That's an easy devotional. You probably have read devotionals on that verse. You probably have heard sermons on that verse, right? Okay, well, yeah, if I would have just stayed right there, we wouldn't have had, uh, the train wouldn't have left the tracks, the truck wouldn't have jackknifed, and I wouldn't have all the problems that I have now. All right, so we're going to go back to verse 1. Everybody ready? All right. Here we go. Now, you got a piece of paper? All right. Before we get to the textual issue of the confusion of verses 1 through 4, we have a list of names. Now, the article in front of me does not fix, doesn't even attempt to fix what I believe to be the textual issues here. What they do is open a can of worms to another issue, and they believe that the names here, there's something deeper going on. So we're going to try to figure out what's going on with the name. Well, first we're going to identify the differences in translation. So are you ready? Here we go. Proverbs 30, verse 1. The words of Agar, I guess that's how we would say the name. Agor, Agar, okay. Agor. The son of Jakey, right? Even the prophecy, the man spoke unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Eucal. Stop right there. That is not how the NIV reads. <laughs> 
right? Let me read the NIV. The sayings of Agor, the son of Jakey, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel, I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Okay, how does your NIV read? Jakey. Okay. And it says, This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ethel. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then it goes to verse 2. Okay, what does verse 2 say? I am the most, uh, okay, so that NIV leaves out, I am weary, God, but I can prevail. That NIV leaves it out? Okay, and what does the note say at the bottom? Okay, all right. So, has it in the footnotes? Okay, so let's go through this. We, yeah, the Maz okay, so that, I guess it depends on if they're, if they're using a Masoretic or what, are, what text they're using. This becomes a big textual issue. We won't get into that. So let's just break this down and make sure we understand. First, let's write down the names of the people who are mentioned. Right, let's do that. Person number one is... Agor, Agor. I don't know how you pronounce his name. I, I could have listened to it, but I, I didn't. Didn't. I didn't even think about it. Agor. All right. Everybody got him. That's number one. Who's the second person? Jakey. Jakey. I think in the live broadcast I was like Jaka or J I didn't know how to say, it, but it's Jakey. That's how it's actually pronounced. Okay. I definitely know that one. Okay. I looked that one up after the live broadcast. Like, why was I saying it that way? All right. But I was, my mind was falling apart because I was like, wait, what just happened? Like, because I was looking at all these different translations like, wait, why are the translations so different? I'm like, why, what did I stumble into? Okay, all right, so there's, we got Agur, we got Jakey, third, Ithiel. All right. What's funny, okay, there's, yeah, Ithiel, okay. And then the fourth, Yukau. Um, is it Yukau? A-L, okay, U-Cal, all right. The, uh, this NIV doesn't even mention U-Cal. They leave U-Cal completely out of this one, all right? So, so those are the four names, all right? Everybody got the four names? Now, here's what we're going to do. We're, that phrase that they talk about, like this one, uh, and the King James gives you the phrase, and, and uh, in, in your notes it gives you the phrase. It's not actually in the King James itself. Um, then the, the phrase goes something like this, I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Some say, I'm weary, O oh God, I'm weary, and it doesn't say anything about prevailing. Right. Now, that phrase will become critical and try, because it's going to create a problem interpreting verse 2, 3, 2, 3 and 4, and which is going to cause all kinds of problems with 5. All right? But we'll get to that problem next. So we've got these names. Now, what do we have a tendency to do with these names? Go around on past them. Because let's be honest, Agor, does that ring a bell to anybody? Jakey, does that ring a, a named a bell to anybody? Ithiel, does that ring a, a, name, a bell to anyone? Yukal, does that ring a name? A bell? <laughs> does that name ring a bell? No. So we are going to probably just go and move on. But it becomes critical, and here, here's the reason it becomes critical. 
All of your Bibles should start in verse 2 with the word what? Okay, verse 2 starts with surely in yours. I am, all right? Or surely I am. We've got to figure out who the I am is. It seems the I am would be who? Agor, right? Agor, right? Doesn't it sound like that's who it should be speaking? Okay, so maybe understanding who he is may help us understand what he's getting ready to say, correct? So in this particular case, we have to figure out. So let's start with Bible Dictionary. Start with Bible Dictionary and find an entry for Agor. Agor, yeah, if I can get his name right. 31, okay, right there at the beginning. Now, we may come up, look, we may come up with completely, like the information I have here may not agree with the information in the dictionary and then we're going to be left with trying to figure this out. So everyone's just got to be patient here as we try to figure this out. Uh, Y'all said page 31, here we go. Agor, everybody there? This is what the, this is the Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Agor, a son of Jakey, and one of the writers of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31. His celebrated prayer, Proverbs 38 through 9, asks for deliverance from economic extremes. Not much help, is it? Not much help. All right, let's do this. Let's now, I'm going to pull up, wait, I've got to find my notes. I went and did some work on the, the Hebrew of these uh, names because this article that I have claims there's something deeper going on here. We use, on the surface level, you just see a name, but something is going on. So, if we pull up, I've, I've got this from the Blue Letter Bible using the interlinear and pulling up the Strong's information and all of that. All right? Everybody ready? Transliteration, Agor. Uh, pronunciation, agor, part of speech, uh, proper masculine noun, all right? Um, passive participle of, and it gives a different uh, Hebrew word. The KJV translation count, one time. All right, now that's important, right? Why? All right, that means that, that, that we're not going to be able to find any information in the Bible to go, what, who is this Agor, and why, according to at least some of the translations and some of those phrases, something's really wrong with him. He seems, oh, 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 I'm so weary. Something seems really concerned. What's going on? If we can figure out the historical context, that may help us interpret this. But we don't have the ability because it appears it's only used one time. Um, uh, the dictionary did not give us any cross-references to him, did he? No, oh, so we seem to be with a lot, uh, out a lot of information. Now, here is very interesting. You ready? Outline of biblical usage. Agor equals gathered. Gathered. All right. Okay, maybe. Okay, maybe. All right. Son of Jakey. An author or compiler of Proverbs 30. We don't have a problem with that because Proverbs 30 verse 1 starts off with the sayings of Agor. Agreed? Strong's definition. Agor, a passive participle, gathered, re, uh, um, i.e. received among the sages, 
Agor, a fanciful name for Solomon. That's, that's what they have. That's what they have here. All right? Now, wait. So somewhere along the line, someone, somewhere... Now, this doesn't give us any ability to figure out. The dictionary doesn't even mention this, right? But according to at least somewhere, somehow, someone wanted to connect Agor to Solomon. That's kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. Let's just keep that in mind. I don't know. I don't know. But a fanciful name. But let's, let's just... Let's keep it there. Okay, where, where did this idea come from? It came from somewhere. We'll, we'll see. All right. Now, well, well, before I get to all the notes that I have and, and we get into what this author tries to do with this, we're going we're gonna to try to, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find our own information. Okay. When we're all said and done there, if it is Solomon, that would be interesting, would it not? Because that may change our interpretation of what's to come. Agreed? If it's not Solomon... Maybe it will not, but we'll see. Let's go to the next individual. Grab the Bible dictionary. Who would be number two? Jakey. Grab the Bible dictionary. See if we can find anything about good old Jakey. All right. If you find the page, let me know. Six thirty. Yep, Jakey. There he is. All right. Everybody there? Uh, page six thirty. What does this say? An ancestor of Agor, the wise man who wrote the thirtieth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It says. It just says related. Ancestor, that's all it says. Yeah, it just says ancestor, which is interesting, okay? All right, so that does that. Now, what else do they not do? Do they give us a cross-reference of any kind? That may mean that this is the only time it is mentioned. If that is true, then guess what we once again have? We have no historical setting in how to interpret Proverbs 30, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. We don't have any historical setting. We need a historical setting, especially if that phrase belongs there where Agor is saying, Oh, I'm so weary. I'm so weary. Well, what, what's making you weary, man? What's going on? We need to understand. This makes this very complicated to try to interpret, all right? But what I want you to see is what are we trying to do before we run to the interpretation? We're doing the observation. I, I, I've, if I've taught you anything in this church, observation before interpretation, right? Because I got an article right here and I could go through all the fanciful words that he has about how to winter because he thinks there's a deeper meaning here. Maybe there is. We're going to at least consider it because I don't know what else to do with this because it is weird. And you'll see once we get into the text how, how it's weird. But so maybe there's a hint here. There is something deeper. But before we can determine there's something deeper, we have to do the observation of what's in front of us, okay? Now, let's go to the idea of J-Key. Again, going back to the Blue Letter Bible, looking up uh, Proverbs 31, pulling up the interlinear, and doing a little work here. What do we have here? All right. 
Uh, we have the translator, uh, transliteration, the uh, pronunciation, uh, J key. We have the part of speech, proper masculine noun. Um, we have uh, from an unused root, probably meaning to obey. All right, that's not a lot of help. Uh, the KJV translates, uh, or the KJV translation count, total of one time. All right, uh, the KJV translates uh, in the following manner, J key. Uh, the outline of biblical usage, J key equals blameless. They have blameless down. Okay, they have, uh, uh, yeah, I have, uh, you have what, obedient in one? Okay, okay, yeah, or blameless. Well, if you're obedient, you'd be blameless, okay. Uh, they have uh, father of Agor, the sage, okay. And then here's Strong's, uh, J key, from the unused root, probably meaning to obey, obedient. Now you ready for the next part? J key, a symbolic name for? Solomon. What? What is going on? A fanciful and now a symbolic. Okay. Well, I, they're, they're just trying to give you facts. The, the, the Strong's is not reaching. I mean, the, the, I mean, they're just giving you the information. But somewhere Solomon gets attached to these two individuals. Right? How? They, Solomon can't be both. Um, I don't, I, I'd have to go back and look. Okay, but, um, so, it just says a symbolic name for Solomon. All right, that, what, what, what he, Solomon can't be both, but why is Solomon being connected to these individuals? Now, you see, if you start looking this up, you see maybe why this author of this article was like, Something may be going on here. And, and I think the first clue is when you start reading verse 1, well, first you don't have agreement amongst the translations, but if you read 1, 2, 3, and 4, you're going to be like, I am confused here, which starts getting you to dig. And now once you start digging, you're like, well, wait a minute. I got two different people, Agor and Jakey, and both somehow are connected, according to some, to Solomon. How? Why? All right. What's the third name? Ithio. Grab the Bible dictionary. 624. Look at Bobby. I already found it. That saves me time if I can find my dictionary. Okay. Page 624. Oh, I'm so glad we get to do these kinds of things. Okay. No, it's just because any other church, we wouldn't be doing this kind of study. Okay. All right. Ithiel. Now, they give us a name or a meaning. God is with me. Oh, that's interesting. All right. We got a gatherer. We got someone who's obedient. And now God is... All right. Okay. According to this dictionary, that's how they give it. We'll see if we dig in, if it means anything. Uh, the name of two men in the Old Testament. Oh, two men got this name. All right. The first one, a Benjamite who returned from Babylon to Jerusalem after the captivity. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 7. Obviously, they don't believe this Ithiel is that Ithiel. So they say a person to whom Agor addressed his oracle, Proverbs 30, verse 1. 
right. Now that right there changes how you interpret it, right? Because they're arguing that Proverbs 30, they're seeming to make the idea, the words of Agor, the son of Jake, even the prophecy, the man spoke unto Ithiel. That what we're about to read was spoken unto Ithiel. Well, why was it spoken in Ithiel? Because he goes, I, you know, he, he starts off, oh, oh if, we, if the phrase, we believe the phrase actually belongs there. I am weary, I am weary. And then he goes into verse 2. I am more brutish than any man. I have not the understanding of a man. Why would you say that I'm basically dumb? <laughs> I have no understanding. I'm basically like an animal. Why would you want one? I mean, like, that's weird. Like, what is... Oh, I know. The, the whole thing seems the whole it, the, the whole thing seems weird, right? So we, we, we got to figure it. But you you see, this is what I get. This is what I want. This is the important lesson I want you to get here. There are times where a text, there's something about the text that the surface level doesn't even begin to make sense. And it almost forces you to start digging. That's when it's okay to at least bring in some of these ideas that something is deeper. Because everything is screaming here that, wait, he's talking to Ithiel, and if he's talking to Ithiel, why, why is he telling Ithiel these things? Well, I, mean, I mean, just look at the King James. We won't, we'll even leave out that phrase, I'm weary, I'm weary, I'm weary. Just look at what happens. Surely I am more brutish than any man. And have not the understanding of a man. He, brutish, he's almost making the argument that he is more foolish, that he lacks the basic understanding of a man. I think the uh, NIV, or the, one I, the NIV I have here, Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. He's basically claiming, I, am, I don't even have the, the basic understanding of a man. Well, why am I listening to you, Agor? <laughs> if you don't even have the basic understanding of a man, why, and why are you telling Ithiel this? Well, yeah, that doesn't sound, it definitely doesn't sound like it would be Solomon. That's a good point. That's a very good point. So, like, what is going on here? I don't know. But then, is this a prophecy? The King James uses the word prophecy. So, a prophecy of what? In other words, is he speaking, is, is Agor really speaking of himself, or is he speaking of something else? You see, these are the questions we start digging. Oh, but before we go there, we got one other person to look up. Okay, you, Cal? Oh, did, uh, did, was there anything else to say about Ithiel? Yeah, it's the, um, the name of an Israelite also a symbolic person. <laughs> it doesn't say anything else. That's in the, uh, okay, hang on. Um, yeah, let me, let me go. I'm glad you brought this up. We'll go back to Ithiel. So we looked at the dictionary, right? Yeah. All right, then I'll go back to the Hebrew here from the blue letter. All right, there we go. All right, um, Ithiel. All right, so here we go. Um, transliteration, Ithiel. Pronunciation, Ithiel. A part of speech, proper masculine noun. I'm glad you uh, reminded me of not uh, skipping all of this because there's probably some interesting he thing here. According to this, the King James count three times. It's used three times. All right. We may want to find all the times that is used. Okay. It's used twice in the King James right there in verse one, isn't it? Yeah. All right. And then once in Numbers, the other the other person. Okay. All right. Or Nehemiah, not Numbers. No. We already read. We already read the dictionary for Ithiel. 
This is from the Hebrew, from the Blue Letter Bible. Right. Okay, all right. Everybody, we, uh, we read the Dictionary of Ithiel, right? Okay, all right, I want to make sure. Okay, all right, make sure I didn't miss something. All right, all right, here we go. All right, so use three times. We, we've now identified all three, correct? Okay. Um, outline of the biblical usage, Ithiel equals God is with me. The disciple to whom Agar gave Proverbs, a Benjamite in Nehemiah's time. We have identified the two individuals. We have identified the three times it is mentioned. All right, any questions there? All right, Strong's definition, all right? Uh, Ithiel, uh, they said perhaps from these other Hebrews' word, God has arrived. The name of an Israelite, also of a symbolic person. A symbolic person. Wait, now, J.K. was possibly symbolic of, of Solomon. The Agor was possibly fanciful name of Solomon. And now Ithiel is possibly... a. Uh, a symbolic person. What is going on? Something's happening. Yeah, now we're going to go to Yukal now. Okay, something is. Do you see that there's maybe something under the surface here? Agreed. All right. Now I don't know what it is. Now what's the danger here? Once we start thinking something is under the surface, then we can go crazy. We're like this. This is telling us that the towers in New York City was going to fall on 9-11. Like people, people start going crazy, so we have to be careful. Well, right, right. Oh, yeah, th now this is a case where something allegorical going on may be uh, uh, true. That there are times where an allegorical approach makes sense. This one is odd, so we'll see. All right, but we got one other person to go, and that is? Yukau, all right, I got to... 1284. I got books here. I got notes here. All right. 1284. I got to go from. I got iPads. I got Bibles. I got notebooks. I'm going from one thing to another. But that's okay. We're going to make sure we leave no stone unturned. Now, when we've done, we may just be tired of unturning over stones and we may not have any answers. But you said 1284? 1284. All right, again, for those listening online, we are using the Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary, or page 1284. Here we go. Yukau. And please note, we're giving people the name of the book that we're looking at so that they can look up the source for themselves. All right. An unknown person to whom Agor addressed his proverbs along with Ithiel. Some scholars, however, do not believe Ithiel and Yukau are proper names. Therefore, to Ithiel, or therefore to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Yukal, um, becomes, I am weary, O God, I am weary and worn out. Well, no, it's just interesting that some people don't believe these are proper names, that, this is, that these names are symbolic of something. Well, if, you're, if that is true, then you're starting with symbolism in verse 1, which means... Something is going on here that I don't quite understand. Let's see. Now I'll go to the Blue Letter Bible and to the, the study. There, something weird is happening. As a phrase, and others translated as a name. Yeah, I guess so, right. So, so something interesting is going on here. Okay, let's go to you, Cal. 
transliteration, UCAL, pronunciation, UCAL, part of speech, proper masculine noun, um, um, give some other connections. KJV translation count, one time. So we got, we got nowhere else to go. We can't, when you have nowhere else to go, you're left with no ability to clarify it, right? I mean, that's, that's always uh, interesting, all right? Uh, the KJV translates uh, Strong's H401 in the following manner, UCAL, um, one time, <laughs> outline of biblical usage, UCAL equals devoured. Equals devoured. Hmm. A student or disciple of Agor. All right. Um, they say, the Strong says apparently from H398, devoured, Yukau, a fancy name, equals Yukau. Devoured? All right, so let's go through the basic meaning of the names. Agor means a gatherer, okay? Jakey means blessed, obey, obedience, blameless, okay? All right, the uh, uh, Ithiel meant God is with me, or God has arrived, and then Yukau means devoured, consumed. Now, I know they use the word devoured, but consume would go along with that idea. Okay, huh, what do we do with this? What do we do with, and... And to add even more intrigue to all of this, two of the names, Agor and Jakey, there's at least somewhere people connected them to. What's going on? What is going on? Okay, well, guess what? I can tell you what's going on, but I can't because we're out of time. Okay, well, I mean, what am I going to do? I mean, it's after eight. I mean... Uh, there is no short answer here, okay? Because we're going to have to go back and do some work on these names and see what this, the, at least this claim is. This, basically this, I'll, I'll, I will give you a short answer this way. The claim here is that these names, right, are basically are all symbolic and they serve as a prophecy. Now, I don't know if they do or not, but let's just go back to Proverbs 30 and we can end with this way. And I did this on the live broadcast, but we'll do with this again, all right? So, we have verse 1. Now, in the live broadcast, what I said is that phrase that is missing in some translations and in, is in other translations, I'm weary, I'm weary, I can prevail, or, you know, some don't even say I can prevail. I said just leave that out because I don't know what, I don't know if it belongs or doesn't belong because the translators can't agree on whether it belongs or don't belong. The King James doesn't have it. Even if we set that phrase aside, now that phrase does set up an interesting perspective because Agor, if we go with that being a person, is speaking, if he's speaking of himself, he's like, I'm weary, I'm weary, I, you know, something is wrong. Now, he, now according to some, he's, he also has a little hope there that he can prevail. Others, there's not even any hope. He's just, I'm weary, I'm weary. I, I don't know what's going on, but let's set that aside. But immediately, starting in verse 2, it's, it becomes really weird, does it not? Surely, I am more brutish than any man. I have not the understanding of a man. Simply put, Agor, if we go with that being a name, is saying, 
I'm not, I don't even have the intelligence of a man. I don't even have the understanding of a man. I'm, I'm less than a man in my understanding. Well, what is going on? Verse 3, I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Now, now just try to, try, to, uh, try to understand the circular problem or the philosophical problem I have here. Well, wait a minute, man. If you don't have any understanding, if you haven't learned wisdom, and you don't have the knowledge of the holy, could you please tell me why I'm reading your words in Proverbs chapter 30? <laughs> A book of wisdom, <laughs> right? Okay. And why are you telling Ithiel and Icaw and Eucal uh, to listen to you? All right. Verse 4. Who hath ascended up into the heavens or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell? Now that's a really weird verse. All right. It, basically, Agor seems to be saying, hey guys, I don't know anything. Can someone tell me? And he goes through a list of rhetorical questions, right? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? Well, we would, if we read this, we would say God, right? What is, uh, what is his name and what is his son's name? Well, we'll go all the way, I'll go all the way back. Who has ascended up into heaven or descended? Okay. Well, that, that's, that, who do you? Who's ascended into heaven? Well, God's already in heaven, so who's ascended? Who's descended? Like, this, this is this, wait, what's going on here? Who's he referring to? Is he referring to Enoch? Is he referring to Elijah? Like, you know, what, what? But they didn't ascend and descend. What, what, like, that's a weird, that's even a, real, a weird question, is it not? I think he could be arguing, who, who is there who's, who's, in a sense, gone to heaven and come back to give us the knowledge that he is seeking, all right? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Well, obviously, humanly speaking, no one. But we would argue God has. Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Humanly speaking, no one. God, in a sense, has. I mean, he's using figurative speech here, obviously. Who hath established all the ends of the earth? Obviously, no man but God. What is his name? And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Now why, if he's implying God is the answer to any of these, why is he implying God has a son? That's really crazy to be coming in Proverbs chapter 30. And then look, verse 5 seems completely out of place. Every word of God is pure. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 okay, wait. Is that Agor talking? I thought he didn't even know as much as a human being. And now he can tell me that God's word is pure? Is that Agor talking? <laughs> is, is this someone answering Agor? Is this God answering Agor? Or what, who, what? Didn't it seem odd how this whole verse is broken? That's the part I, that has me completely perplexed. Now, if... I'm going to, we have to stop here. If verse 1 is all these names are symbolic and there's some kind of prophecy symbolism going here, could that unlock the key to understanding 2, 3, and 4, and 5? I don't know. Uh, I mean, 
look at verse uh, 7. Because 7 almost sounds like God is speaking in some ways, does it not? Two things have I required of thee. Demi deny me them not before... No, no, it's not God. So is that Agor speaking? Okay, now, okay, that's a prayer. Okay, now that makes sense. So now Agor is asking a prayer in seven? Okay, now that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, now, but is, if Agor is praying in seven, wouldn't the prayer make more sense to go with all of his confusion? He seems confused in verse one through four, correct? Yeah. Five and six seems to be the answer. But then in seven, two things have I required of thee, um, I don't like the way that is written, okay, because if, if it's pray, praying, he's almost like I'm requiring you of God, but it's almost a requesting or asking of God, all right? Um, Deny me then not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. All right, now that, those are, that's a good prayer, is it not? Yeah, it continues, but that's a good prayer. The point is, is wait, the prayer would seem to fit with his confusion. What is five and six doing? I don't know. Textually, I don't have an answer. But would we agree on this? Something's going on weird with those names. Something, and some don't even believe that, you know, Ithiel and Eucal is even names, that they're something else. Phrase or symbolic. I don't, I don't like the phrase idea, but what's going on? So it is interesting when we go through the meaning of their names. Let's just go through them again. Agor? Gather? Gatherer? Okay. Collector, maybe? Okay, maybe. Now, if we go with a collector, that can be an argument that what he has done is he's gathered these words and he these are not necessarily Agor speaking, but he's gathered these words and sharing them. Now, that would mean whoever is speaking may not necessarily be Agor. That could change our interpretation, could it not? Okay. Second, J.K. Obey, obedient, blameless. Okay. Third, Ithiel, God is with us. God is with me. God has arrived. Okay. That's, it sounds a little bit like uh, Emmanuel. God with us, right? Okay, it just sounds interesting. You, Cal, devoured or weary, worn out, consumed. Oh, oh, Lord, I'm weary, I'm weary. Okay, now you see how, how they, someone to translate this as a phrase? If Ithiel means God with us, oh, God. Okay, God, you're here. I'm weary, right? But, but that means that the whole thing then is not... Like, what is going on? All right, we're going to have to stop. I know that was a lot of work, but we, 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 that's, the, that's what you have to do. You've got to do the observation before we can do any interpretation. All right? Pretty interesting? Okay. All right. Well, I, I think two, three, and four pose a bigger problem to me than, I think five, I think uh, two, three, and four make sense if five and, five and six just seems so weirdly out of place. Or, or no, I'm just put it in the back. It's not weirdly out of place if I could figure out who's talking. Is Agor talking? Is Agor answering? Is someone answering Agor? What's going on here? Okay, all right. But we'll, we'll figure it all out. All right. I wanted a conclusion, but we didn't get one.
But we definitely, uh, well, we opened up hopefully a, a desire in people to dig a little deep here and try to figure out what's going on, all right? And if you, if you study or read this any this week and you come across anything, please, please, please tell me what you discover because uh, I'm always interested to know um, what you find, which we'll see. And then we'll see how we want to approach this on Sunday because hopefully everyone will listen or everyone will show up Sunday and won't have a clue what's going on. Okay, so we'll see. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. I am so thankful we have the ability to do this kind of thing. I know 95% of the people who hear this kind of study um, outside of this church would be like, well, that's why I would never want to go to that church. Uh, but Lord, I am thankful that there's at least a few people who are willing to come to church and dig in and do this kind of work. Um, if, if this is truly your word, then why wouldn't we care enough to try to figure this out? Why wouldn't we take the time to ask these questions and do this kind of study? I think it's just simply showing that we are trying to reverence your word as your word and not being ours and understanding that we have to do the work if we want to try to understand it. And I pray that as we continue to, to try to figure out Proverbs 31 through 5, Lord, that we will uh, be dedicated enough to try to find the best answers we can and then try to learn what we can from it and obey it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.